Just uh, turn your mic off. Great. Right. Um, we start the uh, section two of this book, Vedanta Treatise. This is an old copy, by the way. The old ones look different. It's called Practical Vedanta. The first section we finished is Introduction to Vedanta, and this is now Practical Vedanta. So it covers a little bit of the basics again, but at a greater depth for the people, for the students who've been um, coming for some time, it goes into more deeper meaning. So we're gonna talk about the basic constitution, which is what are we made of? When we, and how do we contact the world? And the different results from that. It'll give you a deeper insight of how you function, who you are, with tools to allow you to develop that personality of yours within. So let's see how it goes. So we'll start with the human composition. It's chapter nine, and it's the basic constitution. I think, uh, Ravi, you'll just give us a, a quick... Uh, can you hear me? Yeah, everyone can hear him. Brilliant. Okay. Basic constitution. The mission of every human being is to discover the supreme self, to realize the eternal being within you. It requires a study of your constitution and an analysis of its constitutes and how each of them reacts with the external world. Fuss through self-study and a programmed application, you reach the innermost core of your personality. You realize your divine self. So it's saying that the role of a human being in life is to discover the self within, the true personality. That is our goal. Doesn't matter if you know that or you don't know it, that is the goal. So in order to do that, first of all, we have to analyze, understand who we are, what we're made of, what makes us function, what makes us tick. We need to understand that. We also have to understand what the world is made of and how we function and react when we contact the world. So we're just scientifically analyzing our personality and the world. 
So then through self-study and a fixed program, we can achieve our goal in life, reach the core of our personality, realize the self. It's up to us, we have a choice with what we want to do in our life. It's our choice. Even after understanding this, it's, you still have a choice, whatever you want to do. No one's forced to do anything. Any clarifications? Okay. Ravi. A human being is constituted of the divine self, Atman, and the body, mind, and intellect. The self is the spirit, the body, mind, intellect is matter. Matter is inert, insentient, but in contact with the self, it becomes a living being, a phenomenon akin to an electric bulb glowing. The bulb has no light in itself, nor does electricity. But when the bulb is in contact with electricity, there is a brilliant expression of light. So also your matter equipments have no life in themselves, nor does the self. But when the equipments are in contact with the self, there is a scintillating expression of life. So what's that saying? What's that paragraph saying? Anyone? Deepa? Deepa? They're saying that only when all these components get together, we get life. Yeah. On its own, um, they're nothing. No, nothing. Human is made up of the body, the physical body that you see in the mirror, the mind, and the intellect. These are matter vestures. The self is the spirit, Atman. So neither one, matter has no life and it's lifeless. The spirit doesn't have any life either. But only when they both come in contact with each other, there is life. Then there is a living human being. And he gives an example. It's like electricity in a bulb. Neither has any expression. Electricity on its own, there's no expression, nor does a light bulb, but only when they come in contact, there is light. Same, same thing happens with a human being. And this is how life is created. We're going to go through this systematically slowly. Any clarifications? Yeah. The physical body houses the organs of perception and action. The organs of perception take in stimuli from the external world. The stimuli are color and form for the eyes, sound for the ears, smell for the nose, taste for tongue and touch for skin. The mind and intellect react with the stimuli. The organs of action send out responses back into the world. If the mind alone reacts with the stimuli, 
without consulting the intellect, the responses would be impulsive, eccentric, hysterical, leading to insanity. But when the mind consults, takes the guidance of the intellect, the responses would then be objective, discreet, mature. So now we look at the physical body. The physical body contains the organs of perception which take in stimuli from the world. And then it reacts internally and the organs of action reacts with the world. So the organs of perceptions are eyes, which see color and form, ears, hear sound, nose, that smell, tongue, taste, and skin touch. And the organs of action are speech, legs, arms, organs of excretion, organs of reproduction. These are the five organs we then react with the world. So now you get the stimuli coming in. It will then either react with the mind or the intellect. The mind and intellect react with the stimuli and the organs of action respond back to the world. So the three actions are receipt, reaction, and response. This is our life. Receipt, stimuli, reaction internally, response. So what it's saying is, if the response is based on the mind alone, you receive the stimuli and it responds with the mind alone, then the reaction would be regarded as impulsive, eccentric, hysterical. If it takes guidance from the intellect, then the response would be objective, mature. Does that make sense? Okay, we give you an example at this stage. So let's say company of solicitors, solicitors firm. You have the secretary and you have the solicitor. Letter comes in the post asking for some legal advice. It's the job of the secretary to pass it to the solicitor, who then reads, studies the letters and thinks, what is the right application of the law? And then advises the client accordingly. And the solicitor passes it to the secretary to send the response. Yeah, everyone with me? If the secretary, he or she responds to the client without consulting the solicitor, what would the response be? Would you hire that solicitor's firm? You with me? So there's someone at the top who makes the decisions. Same thing happens within us. We receive the stimuli from the five senses, the organs, sight, smell, sound, taste, touch, and they reach the mind, the secretary. The mind should then consult the intellect. What should I do with it? Then the intellect directs the mind and sends out the response through the organs of action. Speech, legs, arms, organs of excretion, organs of reproduction. This is how our life functions, all of our lives. The problem is 
The boss isn't around. He isn't available. He has gone to play golf or he's at the beauty salon. See, the secretary mind takes care of everything. Hence, we have problems in our life. We are agitated by everything that goes on. We have no control over our life. Why? Because the mind is responding to the world, not the intellect. Everyone with me? Yeah. The mind is like the child in us. Yeah. Intellect is the adult. And also now we have so much stimuli, digital era. We have so much stimuli coming in. Mobile phone, every minute it pings and pongs. You need to have a look at it. Some image or video, quote, WhatsApp, email. When we were growing up, the elder people here, there's one TV channel, BBC One. That's it, that's the only stimuli. <laughs> then there was BBC Two came, then ITV, channel four, channel five. How many channels do we have now? We can watch one program and record five to watch later. YouTube, Facebook, blogs. How much stimuli can the mind handle? It wasn't designed to handle so much stimuli. That's why we get so tired and fatigued. Too much stimuli. Just for your information, it's too much stimuli. The mind can't handle it. This is the problem. That's why we get tired, fatigued, headache. So if we understand how life functions, how the world functions, our role in life as a human being, if we exercise our intellect and control the mind and limit the receiving stimuli, life will be smoother, enjoyable, less fatigued. You're in control. How much stimuli are you taking? Especially the youngsters. You're in control of how much stimuli. It's too much for the mind. Any clarifications? Yeah. As we get deeper in this book, it becomes more depth, so I have to take it slower and make you understand more clearly. Do you agree, first of all, that there's too much stimuli coming in and that we need to control it? So you have to decide, you have to control how much you pick up the phone, how many channels, how, many t how much TV you watch. It's all in your hands. Ravi. Whatever be the activities of the body, mind and intellect the self is the life principle and living them all this is said to be atman god the supreme power which vitalizes your body to act and perceive your mind to feel and your intellect to think without the presence of the self these equipments remain inert as a mass of matter so the self is the life giver, Atman, God, whatever you want to call it, it doesn't matter what you call it. Without this, there would be no activity. 
on the body-mind intellect. No life, just dead matter. If you take the car as an example, the mind is compared to the engine. The steering wheel is the intellect. Atman is the petrol. Petrol does not want to go anywhere. It's just a life-giving principle to the car. Similarly, the Atman is the life. Just like the car, the petrol drives the car, but the petrol has no direction. It doesn't, want to, it's not, it doesn't have any place that it wants to go. Similarly, the Atman is the life principle in us. This is what elevens all the matter vestures, which we've already covered. But the car example is a very good example. So steering wheel is the intellect. That can take you. Steer your life, just like it steers the car. Without the steering wheel, there's no control. Yeah. Any clarifications? Good. Ravi. However, the septic questions the authenticity of the existence of the supreme power. He refuses to accept anything beyond the perceptible terrestrial world because of inadequacy of thinking, material requirement for conceiving the transcendental, and, and dismisses the concept of a transcendental being as a fanatic belief of a person without reason backing it. Ironically, there are many aspects of the world that the sceptics themselves believe, except without reason. The most rational, even scientists would find it difficult to live in the world without assumptions and beliefs. In truth, it would be practically impossible to go by reason, proof, at every turn of life. How do you know that you are the son of your parents? When you go for a meal to a restaurant, how do you know the food is not contaminated? When you hire a cab, how do you know the driver is sane? There are numerous other questions that remain unanswered in your mind. You perhaps would prima facie dismiss these thoughts as absurd ridiculous. Yet you go through these experiences by mere assumptions, beliefs. So the skeptics question the authenticity of the supreme power. I don't believe in God. Hmm? It, it receives to accept. Why? Because there's no proof. That's what he's saying. Cynics, people believe, who disbelieve that the supreme power exists, that there is anything beyond this terrestrial world. So this is due to lack of thinking material available to them. They don't have enough information. They say there's no reason backing this claim. There's a God. But there's so much in this world that we believe in that has no reason backing it. Did we know that? Even scientists, they have to assume certain factors to be able to function in the world. Without belief, you cannot function in this world. You go for a whole life, everybody's life is based on certain beliefs. He gives an example. 
you go to you go to a restaurant you go with the with the belief that the food is not contaminated you can't test the food before you eat it is it safe to eat let me do some tests you have you have that belief that they're clean and they're cooking it well and they're giving you fresh food that is a belief that you go there with you get in a cab you have a belief that the cab driver will get you to your destination you can't test his ability, skills of driving before you get in the car. You don't, you don't ask him, how many accidents have you had in the last three years before you get in the cab? You have a belief that he will get you there, isn't it? So our whole life, we're actually functioning on certain beliefs without realizing it. You get in a plane, you have a certain belief the pilot is competent to take you to your destination. You don't ask to see his license. How many hours have you been flying before you get in the plane? So our whole life, we're actually functioning on beliefs. We didn't know that, did we? So, so much in life we go through with a belief. You can't live life without it. It would be impossible. But we take it for granted. This is the problem. Any clarifications? Does that come under acceptance more than belief? You accept, like you know, you like you say, you've taken the example, you take a flight and the pilot, but you know he's been through uh, certain um, training to be where he is. So it's, you accept that. How do you know he's been for that training? Do you ask him before you get on the plane? Because, no, but he, if, you, if, you, if you're flying on a commercial flight, obviously uh, it's been tested, so it's an acceptance, right? What happened to MH370? That's a mystery. <laughs> what we're saying is that we take a belief in certain things for granted, yeah, without proof. Yeah, we accept, so we, we live our life with these beliefs. We're conducting our life with his beliefs without actually knowing that we're doing that. Like you said, we've accepted it. So a lot of things, you, yeah, like you say, that you don't know that you believe in it, in it till you actually focus or try to answer your own questions. And so it's called more acceptance. Once you start believing in it, it's different. Okay. Let's go to the next paragraph because you may have your answer to your question there, to the clarification. Okay. Any other clarifications there? Well, it, that paragraph, all it's saying is that we, we live our life with certain beliefs without actually knowing it. And it'd be difficult for us to live our life without that, yeah, certain beliefs. Yeah? Okay. You'll come clearer as we go through the next few paragraphs. Any other questions? Megna. However, these beliefs and assumptions are not totally baseless. They are supported by several corroboratory evidences which stand to reason. Hence, they are not blind beliefs. Likewise, the introduction of the Supreme Self as the transcendental power the Godhead vitalizing the material equipments 
into living beings is not a groundless belief. A careful analysis of life's experiences would provide you enough reason to substantiate the belief. So there is some evidence for your belief in these things. It isn't blind belief, what you're saying, Shilabin. We have a body that checks all cab drivers. They need to have a license. Yeah, we have a system in this country. Restaurants are checked regularly. There's a food hygiene guide. So these are not totally blind beliefs. Pilots, they have to go through rigorous training. So you have faith that, that he has been through that rigorous training. Yeah? So it's not blind belief. What are blind beliefs? Anyone? Megna. And certain superstitions. Yeah. Like going under a ladder or breaking a mirror or something. Yeah. What else? Ravi? Following people without question, listen, you know, without doing your own research, knowledge questioning. Yeah. Anything else? Blind beliefs. We're discussing blind beliefs. What's our blind beliefs? You drink this holy water, all your sins will be forgiven. Yeah? What sins you've committed? You're drinking a bit of water, how can that eradicate all your sins? I'll have some of that water, thank you. Following only this religion, you will go to heaven. All other non-believers will go to hell. Blind belief. If you fast for seven days, there'll be world peace. Blind belief. My son is not finding a wife. Go to the, uh, say, to the uh, priest. Okay, the priest says, go to this temple and do this ritual. Feed 100 poor people and then one month later, your son will find a wife. Blind belief. We laugh, but this is going on, isn't it, really? These, all these examples are going on right now. Blind belief. There is no evidence for these things. So similarly, the concept of the Supreme Self, this God, Atman, being the source and eliminating all living beings is not a blind belief. It isn't a blind belief. If we analyze our life and its experiences, there's enough evidence to confirm this, which we're going to do now. Any ideas? How can we substantiate that there is this principle, God principle, in living in us? Any, any ideas? Okay. We're going to now prove that philosophically that this Atman Brahman exists. You refer to your equipments as my body, my mind, and my intellect. The use of the possessive pronoun my indicates there are two factors the, the possessor and the possessed. The possessor is you and the possessed, the body, mind, and intellect. 
The equipments are therefore your possessions. They belong to you. If this be so, then who are you? Take away the body, mind and intellect from your personality. There seems nothing left. Yet you feel a subject integrating them and claiming these objects as its possessions. That unknown subject has been designated as Atman, the self within. So three arguments we're going to put forward and discuss to prove that the self, God, is within us. Yeah? So what is this paragraph saying? It's saying, we say, in, you know, we say, this is my car. This is my son, my daughter. This is my house. This is my business. What are we saying? We're saying we're differentiating the possession from the possessor. You are the possessor. This is your house. You're saying this is my house. Correct? Everyone with me? Yeah. Just put your hand up if you don't understand. It's very important that you follow each step. So you're differentiating the possessor from the possession. The objects are different from you, the possessor, and the possession. So similarly, we refer to the body as my body, my mind, my intellect. There is the possessed and the possessor. So if you take away the body, the mind and intellect, there only remains the possessor. Who is the possessor? Who is the possessor? Who is the possessor? Take away the body, mind and intellect. You say my body, my mind, my intellect. Nobody. Nobody. The spirit, the energy. The energy. Supreme self. This is the evidence. Someone has to, by you saying my body, my mind, my intellect, who is that my? Everyone with me? You say my house, take away the house, is only left you. Similarly, you take away the body, mind, intellect, who's left? You have to think on this, by the way, yeah? You have to read and think about it. It takes time for, for it, you absorb it. Who is the possessor? This is the evidence. There's something there, keeping it together. This possessor is known as God, Atman, the self within. Think about it. The whole life we go through saying mine. Carol, make sense? Ravi, did you have a clarification? Okay. Evidence number two. Furthermore, observe the functioning of your equipment. Notice your physical body constantly changing. So do you find your mind vacillating with a variety of emotions and feelings and your intellect growing at times 
deteriorating, in effect, changing. You recognize these changes taking place in your personality. Such recognition is not possible without there being a changeless entity. It is a law of science that the change is noticeable only with reference to a changeless factor. Just as the movement of a train is noticeable only with the reference to the immovable objects outside, whereas the movement of an aircraft is not noticeable as there is nothing in a cloud to sky to relate to. Therefore, the recognition of, change, of the changes in the equipments and their functions posits the existence of an unchanging aspect in you. That unchanging, be, that unchanging being is said to be the Supreme Self. So evidence number two, when we go on a train, we only know we're moving because when you look out the window, things are passing by. It makes you realize that you're moving. Everything else is static. Houses, fields, they're all passing by. So you know you're doing 100 miles an hour or whatever. When you're on a plane, you look out the window. There are no clouds. You can't see anything out there. You can't tell you're moving. It's like you're just static. Why? Because there's nothing there to show you that you're moving. There's nothing, no static objects to, to, sh to show that your movement. Make sense? You look out the window, you just look like you're suspended. So similarly, what they're saying is, any change to be noticeable, there has to be a changeless background. It's a scientific law. There has to be something changeless, static in the background. So similarly, we're seeing a constant change in our personalities. Our physical body is changing all the time. It's not the same body as it was 20 years ago. It's changed. Emotional, our emotions are constantly changing in our minds. Your emotions now are different from when you were a teenager. Everyone with me? Constantly changing emotions. Our intellect is changing all the time. Our thinking, our thoughts are different today than they were 10 years ago. Yeah. Everyone correct? Or everyone's thoughts are still the same when they were 10 years ago? Different. Your body is different. Your mind is different. Emotions are different. So to notice these changes, there has to be a changeless entity changeless background. This changeless entity is said to be the Supreme Self, Atman, God. Think about this one. It takes time to get this particular example. Think about it. For you to see all your changes, there has to be a static background. This is evidence of the existence of something beyond our body, mind and intellect. Any clarifications? Like I said, these examples you need to think about, yeah, to be able to get it. Some of them are more prominent, some of them need a bit of thinking. Any clarifications? So the first one is the my, possession and the possessor. The second one is the changes in your personality, in your physical, mental, intellectual personality. 
These changes are only evident because of a changeless background. Sorry, this is Aruna. Yeah, Aruna, man. <clears throat> Can I just ask, so I understand where you're saying that there's these constant changes in our personality, in our body, emotions, all of that. Yeah. I'm not clear about, and I also understand about the Atma inside, and, but I don't understand why is that the evidence of something beyond that, that's existing, like example, the Atma. Why is that the evidence? Because um, if, I, if I understand you correctly, we're trying to prove here that there is something there. It's not a blind belief. It's not me saying there's Atman, Brahman, God, and you, you accept it. We're trying to substantiate that. Yeah, because right. people don't, otherwise it becomes blind belief. We don't understand why this is the case. Why is there something living in you? Yeah. Then it's blind belief. And we can't function on blind belief. We have to understand logically that this has to be something has to be there. Mm. Okay, thank you. Is that okay. Yeah, so thank you. These are three examples to substantiate that, which you have to think about, and then the penny will drop. Okay, thank you. Okay. Any other clarifications? Okay. Third evidence. Yet another corroboratory evidence of an eternal being is a persistent existence of the I in everyone's life. You use the pronoun I liberally without realizing its existence, its significance. The I runs through your entire lifespan. You claim, I am rich or poor. I am a boy or girl. I am old, I am young or old. You also say, I am well or ill. I am, un I am happy or unhappy. I am brilliant or dull. The same eye runs through the equipments and their experiences. I perceive sense objects. I feel emotions. I conceive thoughts. Furthermore, it transverses that, transverses the realms, traverses the realm, sorry. Of the, of the waking dream and deep sleep. In the waking state, you claim, I am an athlete, waker. In the dream state, I am an invalid, dreamer. And in the deep sleep, I am nothing, the, sleep, oh, the sleeper. These experiences are diverse, heterogeneous. There, there is, but there is a homogeneous entity holding them together the eye pervading the three states of consciousness, percolating every physical, emotional, and intellectual experience. That should provide enough evidence for any rational human being to investigate its presence and purpose in his life. So what does that say? Third evidence. Who said that? <laughs> Yeah. Mahendra, all about the eye, you're right. The constant use of the term I in our life. We say this without actually thinking about it. What are we saying? But you were using it every day. 
this term. I am rich, I'm poor, I feel sad, I feel happy, I'm thinking. So we use this word liberally without understanding the meaning of it. When you are young, you say, I'm a child, I'm a girl, I'm a boy. I'm a man, I'm a woman. As you get older, I'm an old man, old woman. Every split second you're changing. By the, by the time this class finished, you have changed. In that one hour, you've changed as a person. We even use the term I in the three states of consciousness. For the people who are new here, every human goes through three states of consciousness. Waking, which is right now, I hope you're all awake. Waking. Tonight you'll go to sleep, you'll be dreaming, and then you'll be in a state of dreamless sleep, called a deep sleep state. So those are the three states of consciousness we go through the whole life. Waking, dreaming, deep sleep. So now, when you're awake, you say, I'm a doctor, I'm a nurse, I'm a businessman, I'm an athlete. When you go to the sleep, when you go to sleep tonight, in the dream, you might say, I'm an invalid. How come I'm in a wheelchair? Yeah. You might say, I'm a pilot in the swear, in the dream. You can be anything in the dream. In deep sleep, you say I'm nothing. There's nothing in deep sleep. You know, when you wake up in the morning, you say, oh, I had a good sleep. That means you had a dreamless sleep, deep sleep. So the same person say these three things. I am, I am sleeping, I am dreaming. So who is this I? Who is this I? So you have to think about this. Who is this I? Nobody knows. When you're in the waking state, you say, I'm a doctor. Who is the doctor? Who's the doctor? Anyone? Who is, is it the body? No, not the body. Who's the doctor? The intellect. Not the intellect. You're all right to a certain extent, but there's one word I'm looking for. Three plus the atma, your body, mind, intellect plus the atma. Body, mind, intellect plus atman. The personality, the yeah. current personality, the act. Personality. What the? But the atman is also in the sleep and deep sleep, in the dream and the deep sleep, isn't it? Okay, well. Body, mind, intellect in the atman is in the dream, dream state as well. Who is the doctor? It's the supreme self. Supreme self. Yeah. The doctor. The supreme self is in the in the dream invalid. Magna. When it just be yourself, but only in the waking state. In the waking state. Anita, did you say did you say something? So who's the doctor? You're all right, partially. It's the waker. Right now you're the waker. 
The waker is the doctor. The waker is you right now. So in the in the dream, you're in a wheelchair, you're an invalid. Who is the person in the invalid? Dreamer. Dreamer. Absolutely. And in deep sleep is the deep sleeper. So three different states of consciousness. Three different people. And we say, I am. I am the waker, I am the dreamer, I am the deep sleeper. So who is this I? Who is this I? Supreme Self. Supreme Self. Another evidence that there is something beyond our physical personality. Maybe in the waking state, dream state, deep sleep state, there is something beyond that. That I. So this is evidence, basically, that which you need, you need to think about to be able to understand its deep import of what it actually means. When you understand that, then your life starts changing. Who is this I? Any clarifications? Magna. So we're saying that the self takes these three forms. So when we're awake, when we're dreaming, when we're deep sleeping, but it's the fact that there's that underlying self that is constant. Exactly. The waker, dreamer, deep sleeper are three different states of consciousness. In the dream, you're helping pe poor people in Africa. Yeah. It's real for the dreamer, isn't it? It's real for the dreamer, it's a different state of consciousness. You can't tell the dreamer, hey, actually you're in bed sleeping. Dreamer says, what are you talking about? I have to help these people. Yeah. I need to check all their teeth, make sure they're healthy. You can't tell the dreamer, hey, this is just a dream. He wouldn't understand what you're talking about. He doesn't know this, he doesn't know anything about the waking state. Does he? And he can't. The only time the, the person knows is when they wake up that they were dreaming. But in the dream state, you don't know that you're a waker. And there's a different state of consciousness. You know, if I really, if we really think about it, which one's real? <laughs> if you really go deep into it, which one is real? Because a dreamer will say, actually, this, this is real. Right now you're saying this is real. Which one is real? This is real to the waker. That you're waking now in the dream world is real just as real to the dreamer think about it which one's the real state of consciousness then anyway we won't go into that that's a different class so there should be sufficient evidence for us to investigate 
the I and its purpose and existence in life. We're trying to collaborate that there is something there. I don't know what it is, but there's something there. Any other clarifications? Dermish. Back to blind belief, as you said before. Mm -hmm. If the person believes in God, mm -hmm. and he fasts for seven days, so it's not blind belief for him then. It's blind belief for you because you don't believe in God or what he believes in. Blind belief in the sense that there isn't anything collaborating that cause and effect. But so, if, you, if, if you believe there is God and there is a supreme being, mm -hmm. and you take action believing that it's the way to do it, it's not blind belief for you then. It may be for other people. It's blind belief because there's no evidence for it. But there's, if you believe there's God, mm -hmm. yeah, and God is all, all powerful, all seeing, all knowing. Mm -hmm. Any way you communicate to God or self-sacrifice is belief. Fair enough. But what we're saying is that it's, it's, there's no evidence for it, that if you perform that action, the result will be what, what you think it will be. This is the blind belief. Yeah? This is what we're trying to substantiate. There's no cause and effect relationship. But if I do this, this will happen. There's nothing there to... They may believe in God and may be a, a really um, sartric person. We're not talking about that. Yeah? And they may be a re really highly spiritual person. Yeah? But what we're talking about here is the fact that there's no cause and effect evidence that if you perform this action, then this result will happen. Okay. And that's blind belief. But in the same way, what we're doing now is blind belief as well. If we control our minds, we control our intellect, we're mm -hmm. going to find the atma. That's a blind belief as well. Because there well, is no actual cause and effect. That's cause and effect as well. We well, we're, we're that's going to happen. So what we're trying to do, there's enough evidence uh, to prove that this is the case. There's enough evidence because great sages have reached that state and they've written about it. You know, self-realized souls, all these great sages for thousands of years ago who written the Upanishads, the Vedas, they are all talking about the same state that you can reach and none of them knew each other. They're all independent experiences that they've had and they could be hundreds and thousands of years apart they're written about the same experience, which is what we're discussing. So therefore, there is some evidence, okay, to show this. And we're trying to follow that path on the hope that we can reach that goal. And if they hadn't written this path, if they, hadn't, if they didn't have the evidence, we wouldn't have any of these books to follow. We wouldn't have the Bhagavad Gita, the three yogas, we wouldn't have any of these things unless it was for them. So we're going on the belief that if we follow the path they took, we will reach also reach that goal. Yeah, Thomas? Isn't that the same with most religions? I don't know about religions. We're talking about only philosophy here. No, no, I'm, I'm just saying. I don't know about religion. There's, you know, we're not talking religion here. That's something you'll have to think about. Okay.
Megna, you had something to say. Yeah, I was going to say with um, just to clarify and so my understanding of what Damesh is saying as well, that when you are believing something in sort of that blind belief that you were saying, it's almost a blindness of the fact that there's no evidence, but you have that belief of what you're doing might be very strong. So you, there's just no, like, for example, fasting for a week might bring, like you said, world peace. But the fact that you do that for a weekend, that doesn't happen. That sort of blind belief, because there's no evidence to say that if you do that, that will happen, and nor has it happened for anyone else. So with this, when Danish is saying that it's sort of that sort of same situation here with the blind belief, is that if we're, we're following something, we're believing that it will help. And when we see that, sort of, we feel that happiness inside us when we're using our intellect and using this knowledge to when we feel that happiness that's a real feeling so in that sense it can't be blind belief because it is actually cause and effect what we're doing here is bringing that happiness so that's a real thing for us they're saying if you do this this will happen so you try it and if that happens then it's not blind belief is it yeah, yeah. it's based by evidence it's based by facts you're experiencing it you can't, you can't accept anything unless you understand it and you believe that if I do this, this will happen. And you can try it, you can experiment with it. If it works for you, then you know it's not blind belief because there's an effect by you performing the action. Yeah. If it doesn't work, then it doesn't work for you. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't work for someone else. Yeah. So, we're trying to substantiate that this isn't blind belief. There is evidence. Any other clarifications? Sittle has a clarification. I just, so I, just, I just wanted to add, and I don't know whether this is in relation to what we're discussing, but if we're thinking about what spiritual sadness are in relation to making you think or contemplate on what Darish was saying about God, right? So you might not be fasting for a week because you're thinking you want to achieve something or gain something out of it, but it's because you feel spiritual, okay? And it's, for example, Shavan Mainon, right? Which is meant to be a spiritual month. And therefore you fast on every single Monday because you're a devotee of Lord Shankara, right? That's a spiritual sadhana that even the people, wishes have said, if it helps to enable you to think of the self or think of God. So the fasting that you're talking about is meant to enable you to think of the higher rather than fasting because you want to achieve something, because that would be the blind belief. But if it strengthens your understanding of thinking there is something higher that I believe in and I want to fast for that higher being, then it's not a blind belief in my understanding, but I don't know. No, she's absolutely right. You're absolutely right. The effect is something different. When you fast, the effect is different. There is a spiritual effect. I'm not denying that, but the effect is different. Maybe a deep understanding of, you know, you're doing some tapas, and with that tapas, there is a belief. There is a form of um, reward for that tapas, yeah. which you will feel. But that's different. 
because you're thinking of the higher thing all the yeah. time. Any other clarifications? So when you're fasting, it's more, I think it's making you more sattvic thinking, do more sattvic doings. So it becomes, you don't realize it in that sense, but you're reinforcing it mm -hmm. because you, you're fasting because you, you are moving or you're, you're experiencing something to, be, to go to a higher level. See, the effects of fasting will be very different and it's a different topic altogether. We're trying to substantiate here that there's blind belief when you do something without a cause and effect relationship, without understanding the relationship of it. And I gave that example. There is no relationship with that fact that if I fast, something will happen. Yeah, that is a blind belief. That's what we're saying. But we're trying to substantiate here the understanding that there is something beyond that's enlivening us. We're trying to prove that point. Yeah, the benefits and non-benefits of fasting is a different class altogether. So that was just an example. It's like shifting. It's just so it's like shifting a, a, a gear, right, in your car. You just a gear change. <laughs> yeah. So it's a different, uh, different topic altogether. So we're just trying to prove here to everyone that there is something beyond your physical personality. Meghna. In a puppet show, the artist is not seen by the audience. From his unseen position, he manipulates a number of wires to activate the puppets. The audience is thrilled at their movement and gesture. Children look upon the inert bodies as free agents, consider them to be independent actors. They are not grown up to realize, to visualize the wires and the artists behind the show. But others with a limited insight spot the wires, yet fail to recognize the artists behind it. They, they are quite complacent to believe that the wires are the cause of the show. But the intelligence uh, go beyond the wires, understand and appreciate the work of the artist behind it all. So you take your child to a puppet show. I'm sure all of you have been to a puppet show before. The children, they cannot see the wires. They think the puppets are moving on their own. Mommy, mommy, look, how are these little things moving? They don't understand. They think they're free agents. But you as an adult, you're a bit more intelligent. So you see the wires. The wires are moving the puppets. Someone more intelligent understands there is a person controlling the wires with his fingers at the top. You can't see that. You can't see the fingers, you can't see the person. So each one perceives according to their own intellectual status. What you see, the other person does not see. So the child only sees the puppet. Someone with a bit more intelligence sees the wires. Someone with more intelligence sees the person behind it and their fingers moving. So similarly, Same thing happens in spirituality. Meghna. Likewise, 
Ignoramuses look at the world with wonderment, consider beings as free agents, have no clue of anything beyond the external manifested world. They give all importance to the physical body and its actions. The more intelligent recognize the inner strings of the mind and intellect playing upon the otherwise inert bodies. But those with spiritual insight see the supreme unmanifest power as a primal cause of the manifest world of beings. Perceive the divine conductor of the orchestra of life. While the ignorant, out of sheer intellectual fatigue, dismiss the existence of the transcendental being. You would be wise to study the human composition thoroughly. Go through the process of self-analysis. Practice the appropriate spiritual discipline. Develop deeper philosophic insight and pursue the evolutionary path until you discover the Supreme Self, attain spiritual enlightenment. So just like in the public there are three types of people in the world. One with no spiritual knowledge. We, call, we can call them spiritual children. Yeah. They see the wonderment of the world and cannot see anything beyond it. They see every human being as a free agent, like the puppet, acting independently. Then there are those who are more intelligent, more spiritual, more spiritual knowledge they have. They understand the body, mind, intellect is controlling the physical body. And then those with spiritual insight, they understand the cause of the manifest world and beings, the supreme power, that enlivening principle behind everything. So those are the three kinds of people. Just like in a puppet show, children only see the puppets, person with more intelligence sees the wires, and person with more intelligence sees the person behind it. Similarly, same thing in the, in the world. The ignorant, due to intellectual weakness, dismiss the transcendental. They don't have the understanding, they don't have the knowledge. They don't want to know either, they're happy. So with this understanding, we need to understand what the role of our life is. Study the makeup of our personality. Who are we? Practice the spiritual disciplines, the free yogas, fasting. And we continue to do this until we reach that goal. Moksha, spiritual enlightenment. Any questions? That's the end of the um, paragraph and end of this topic. So I'll take any questions or anybody has anything to add. We can discuss that we have in about 10 minutes. It's quite deep, this uh, philosophy today. So it takes time to think about it, understand it. So you're going in, what's inside me? What's making me tick? We're giving you three examples to substantiate that, to help you understand. Any clarifications? Does everyone understand today's class? Sorry, Shilabin, I can't hear what you're saying. 
You said we have to deeply think about it, so we don't even have a question because we haven't had a chance to think about it. Absolute perfect answer. <laughs> that is a perfect answer. Without thinking about it, you can't, have, you can't have any questions. That's why we have the Wednesdays class. You see, it gives you three days to think about it. <laughs> then we can pick it up as a Q&A and discussion. <laughs> Very good. Okay, fair enough. Any general questions? Um, yeah. Could you please explain transcendental qualities? Beyond the third, the, okay. In what in in what um, in what in which way did you um, want me to explain transcendental? Um, well, it's been mentioned in this chapter, mm -hmm. so in context of the chapter. So in this context, it's saying something um, beyond the three states of consciousness. So we said waker. We're in the waking world right now dream world and a deep sleep state. That's the three states of consciousness that we are aware of. So the fourth state, we can say is the transcendental, beyond these three states. We can say the fourth state, we can say transcendental, state of self-realization. It's just another word for the same meaning. Yeah. Trans, you have to trans from these three states to the fourth state. Thank you. Any other clarifications? Dharmesh, don't fall asleep. Question. Yeah. The dreamer doesn't realize he's in the dreaming state. The dreamer does realize he's in the dream state. Does he? Well, he's in that state. Yeah. Does he know he's in it? Because for him, it, everything's real, isn't it? Well, when you sleep, go to sleep and you're dreaming that you're, I don't know, superhero. Yeah. You believe you are the superhero. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm in the waking state. How do I know I'm not in the dreaming state, thinking I'm awake? <laughs> Pinch yourself. <laughs> Pinch yourself. This is what the sages are saying. Which state are you in right now? You see, this is exactly the whole question. Which state are you in? You could be dreaming right now, you're right. This is the discovery. See, yeah, Megna. I was going to say, you wake up when you yourself realize. Exactly. That's exactly right. See, when you, when you realize, when you understand the deeper import of this subject, you actually realize that all three states are not real. But you, you can't understand that. You can only understand that in relationship to the dream state. As a waker right now, you understand that whatever you dreamed last night, you were Batman. You were not Batman. You were dreaming. Only now, as you woken up, you understand that. But now you understand. Similarly, when you wake up, transcendental state, the fourth state, you actually understand that all these three states have no meaning. 
And this is exactly what these great sages reached and have written about, which, was, which is what we're trying to understand. It's, but it's very difficult for us to understand because we're in this state. How can we, just as the dreamer can't understand the waking state, we can't understand the fourth state. We're trying to understand it through these classes. Is that clear, Damesh? Yes. Thank you. Hmm? Yes, yeah, good, good question. Any other clarifications? So ultimately, that's, that's what the whole conclusion of all this study after how many years will be, is that none of these states matter. <laughs> but right now, if I said that, you'd say this guy's mad. Any other clarifications? Any general questions? Yeah, Batiban. Does that mean that anything that occur, obviously, if you anything that you do in the dreaming state has no value, no meaning? To what who? about to anyone? To the self or to okay, to the self. That's the it has the, the dreaming, the dreaming state has no value. To the self, you're saying. Does that that mean that the waking pardon? Sorry, can you repeat your question? You froze. Yeah. Oh, right, okay. Um, what I'm saying is that the dreaming, when you're dreaming, it has no value because anything that you do or anything that happens to you is not really happening. So are we saying that the waking, is that the same for the waking? But this is where you're wrong. In the dream, whatever happens doesn't matter. To whom? To the dreamer. So it does matter to the dreamer what happens in the dream. Okay, your, first statement we'll... is, your first statement is incorrect because whatever happens in the dream matters to the dreamer. Okay. So but what we're trying to what we're trying to do is go away from all of these. So if you look back, it has no meaning. See, only when you wake up, the dream has no meaning. You with me, Patiban? So you no value. That's a better word. Yeah, you keep freezing, Patiban. So only when you're in when you're in a dream to the dreamer, it matters what happens. Yeah, if you've been chased by a lion in the dream, you're sweating. Right? While you're in bed, you're sweating. Yeah. You're agitated yeah. in the dream. And it affects your body, physical personal, physical body while you're in bed. The person says, why are you so sweating? Yeah. Oh, I had a really bad nightmare. Yeah. So it matters to the person in the dream. But when it doesn't matter is when you wake up and you realize, oh, that was a dream. So similarly, what happens here and now in the waking world matters to you. It's important to you. So when you wake up from this state, it's not important. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Okay. So, so here and now. Yeah. Itself, it doesn't matter. Just like people don't care where you go. For the self, it doesn't matter. 
Any other clarifications? Any other questions? Um, great. So then we will finish the class. Um, one question. Um, next week is Father's Day. I'm, I'm not sure if we're still in lockdown or what. Are we, are we, are we happy to have a class or just um, anybody object? Great. So we'll continue. Yeah. So we'll continue with class next week then. I know if it wasn't locked down, then people would have plans, but right now it's sort of a bit dubious. So um, we will continue to have class next week. So you guys have to think about this, what we covered today. And Wednesday, bring up any clarifications or any uh, misunderstandings or anything you want to talk about. We'll talk about it on Wednesday's uh, group discussion. And if there's anything specific, put it on the WhatsApp group so we can think about, everyone else can think about it as well. For the um... Carol, did you say? Did you have something to say? Yeah. Okay. So think about it. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Okay, I have a question. Okay. <laughs> you thought about it's... it, yeah? No, no, not regarding this. It's 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 the topic of the word called Vedanta. On the what, sorry? The, the word called Vedanta. Mm -hmm. yeah. If it's not a religion, and I suppose been um, researched and um, people that's experienced and written these things, mm -hmm. and most of it still comes from the text of our Bhagavad Gita, Mm -hmm. So is Bhagavad Gita a religion or just a teaching of how to live our life? Because in the Bhagavad Gita, you still have a whole story and we are only dealing with one text of where Krishna is giving Arjun the teachings of the self, right? Is that, I don't know, that's how I understand it now. Okay, so what's the question? So what is Vedanta? Thank you. That is the question. What is Vedanta? Anybody would answer that question? Meghna. Um, it's, this, it's the philosophy of life. Philosophy of life. Anybody else? Okay. Dermish. The path to find the supreme self. Right. Okay. You're right, both of you are right. Vedanta, Vedas, you all heard of the Vedas. Yeah, there's four Vedas. Everyone's heard of the Vedas. So Vedanta, Veda, uh, the first part comes from, so it's specified that it's from the Vedas. Anta means end. The Vedas are made up of rituals, made up of hymns, made up of all the things that we practice. And in the, in, in the end part of the Vedas is the philosophy. Okay. So Vedanta means the Vedas, the philosophical part of the Vedas. Vedanta. Upanishads. 
It is called the Upanishads. They all come from the Vedanta. Upanishads is the writings of self-realized souls. Nobody knows who's written them. And there's over 200. That's also right? Sorry? So that will kind of be like a blind belief because we don't know? You don't know who wrote it. Doesn't matter who wrote it. If we're following it, then if we have the effect, then that's what we're concerned with. Not who wrote it. Okay. Yeah. But we don't know the name because they don't want to be known. Why they want... They've already reached the state. Why? They have no ego. They don't want their name to be Russian for the rest of reality. They have no interest. So Vedanta means the philosophical part of the Vedas. Now, you mentioned Bhagavad Gita. Yeah. So one of the Ved, what one of the Upanishads states that I am God. You are God. Just one. One of the one of the Vedas it says. I am God, you are God. So the whole Bhagavad Gita was written just to, to explain that one principle, that you are God. Yeah? In whichever form it's been written, a story, in whichever way it's written, that's only to explain one particular concept, which is you are God. There are still hundreds of more to study. Principle, you are God. Just to explain that 702 verses, the Bhagavad Gita. Krishna says to Arjuna, What are you worried about? If you die, you die. You're God. What are you worried about? Life. 